Hello, welcome to This Girl Cam, where we speak to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today, as the third part to our Purpose Driven Special, I'm chatting to Alison Pulte, Director of Leadership Development at Novartis, and another fabulous contributor to Jill Donahue's upcoming book, A Dose of Inspiration, 100 Purpose Stories of Pharma Leaders. Alison's been at Novartis for nine years, and previous to that, she held leadership roles at Otsuka and Janssen, an industry veteran for over 20 years. We talk about the joy she has in doing the work now that she loves, knowing the lessons instilled in her by her mum at a young age now serve her and indeed serve others. She's a huge advocate for supporting women in leadership and ensuring male allyship, a woman after my own heart. So let's get going. Alison, welcome to this girl camp. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Liv. Oh, it's fabulous to have you. So normally I start these interviews asking to hear all about what you do and tell me all about yourself. Now, all of that is going to happen, but in the spirit of being purpose-driven, as that is what we are here for today, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about why you are working in the pharmaceutical industry. Tell me why you do what you do. Yeah, so thank you so much for asking that. Gosh, there's so many reasons that drive me, you know, as I started doing work on on developing my purpose, I realized that it, it wasn't deliberate choice, but maybe somewhat accidental. But I think it was deliberate that I stayed, you know, originally, well, I joke, I told the story recently, growing up, when I was maybe eight years old, if you would have asked my eight-year-old self what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be, I would say, I either want to be a doctor or I want to be a boss. I didn't know what I wanted to be the boss of, but as the oldest of three <laughs> girls, I was very proficient in bossing them around. So I thought, hey, this is pretty fun. Maybe I want to do that in some way, shape, or form. And my aunt was in corporate America, and so I saw her as a, a people leader, and I thought, well, that seems good. You know, I can, I'm can i pretty good at directing my siblings and friends and things like that, and I was always the one coming up with the ideas and orchestrating who was going to go where and do what. So I thought that sounded great. Well, the when the medical career did not work out for me becoming a physician, I actually got some experience working both bench lab research as well as working in a clinical setting in a hospital where they were doing bone marrow transplants, helping a physician to track his outcomes. And that was actually where I got my first exposure to pharmaceutical sales specialists. And so I said to myself, you know, what would be that perfect marriage of this sort of intellectual medical dialogue and then leading teams and people and having this wonderful interaction? So that's sort of how I fell into pharmaceuticals. But then what I found once I got there was it really was this perfect marriage of what I loved, right? Helping to advance healthcare and caring for others. But then I didn't even know, you know, what it meant to be a boss, quote unquote, as my eight-year-old self would say. But I really just realized how much I loved leading teams and leading people. But then as I reflected on it further, I realized I wouldn't love leading a team of people that were selling cars or selling paint or selling copiers. I really loved the intellectual component and the medical component and knowing we were helping people to make decisions that impacted outcomes and patients' lives. Mm -hmm. So that to me was so important. And so maybe sort of why I landed in pharmaceuticals might have been somewhat of a, a lucky break, I guess, but why I stayed definitely was because everything about it was so aligned uh, with my purpose completely relate to that. 
So true. So tell me a little bit more about yourself now, Alison. Sure, sure. So I think I mentioned this before, but I was the oldest of three girls in my family. My mother was one of three girls. And I now, in my very own home, have three daughters. So super amazing girl power driven house and life that that. I've led and um, married to my husband, Kevin, of almost 27 years, which I just can't even believe that we've now been married for half of my life and I've lived (laughs) with him far longer than I ever lived with my parents, which is pretty crazy. So grown up in California, went to college in Boston and lived all over the country throughout the Midwest for several years until we settled in Cleveland where we're living now, which is the longest we've ever been anywhere. We've been here for 13 years. I can't even believe it. But now my two daughters are in college and my youngest one is 15 and still in high school. So, you know, they really are my driving force. And one of the things that I got involved in early in my career before I even had children was the women in leadership employee resource groups at all the companies that I've been in. And so now I sort of look at this as this opportunity to make the workplace more inclusive, to make the workplace more diverse. And I feel sort of this responsibility for that next generation of workers. So some of the most motivating work I think that I do sort of in my free time uh, in my day job is to, you know, support our employee resource group, women in leadership here at Novartis to look to, you know, create a community where people feel really good about coming into work and to really motivate organizationally for us to make the workplace more inclusive, more diverse. Novartis has a huge commitment to this epic pledge, right, for equal pay and pay transparency. And we're making tremendous strides, but we continue to reinvest and to do more. And I try to do my part, you know, to create that better future for my three daughters. Um, And one of the ways I like to do that is, you know, engaging men in the conversation about gender equity and the importance of really our associates and our clinical trials reflecting the patients that we serve. So I love doing that as part of my sort of personal slash professional life that really motivates and inspires me and, and really aligns beautifully with my purpose. So I started in pharmaceuticals as a sales specialist and then moved into some regional training roles and ultimately a first line people leader. And that's where I got my first taste as a very young manager and realized, you know, I had a lot to learn about what it truly means to lead a team and to really inspire others to achieve more than they think possible. And so that's really what my leadership philosophy is all about, is inspiring folks to do more than they ever thought possible because by believing in them and helping them see their own potential. And and we can talk at some point about the story of, of how my mom sort of really embedded that in me. But I was a first-line people leader for about 10-plus years and then transitioned into a headquarters-based training role for about three years, more focused in the product training realm. Then came back out you know, for flexibility. We moved to New Jersey for my career, and then my husband had an opportunity back in Ohio. So it's always been a give and take for us. And I love that the pharmaceutical industry has allowed me to do that and continue to serve you know, patients and healthcare providers wherever we were living. So we came back to Cleveland and I sort of transitioned back into a field facing role again with a couple different organizations. And ultimately, when I got the call from Novartis for the opportunity to launch, you know, really, truly life changing drug in the heart failure space, I couldn't say no. So I came back again as a people leader 
And it just reinforced to me, though, that my passion really is around leadership development. So when there was an opportunity for me to join the training team at Novartis as the director of leadership excellence, I jumped at that. And so since then, for about the past five years, I truly feel like I'm doing what I love most because I'm in the space that I adore with healthcare. Uh, but I'm also helping leaders see the best in others by really helping them see the, their potential and help them to uncover how they can inspire other people to do more. So I feel like it's amplified my impact because now I'm not just leading my team, but I'm helping other leaders across Novartis to really grow their skills. There's definitely something about this, the, the magic space where you're connected, your own personal purpose is connected to your company purpose and tying the as Jill talks about those three P's, your professional, personal, and then the, the company purpose, tying them all together, is it really is that magic sweet spot, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and Jill really helped me to articulate that in the best possible way, right? I, like I mentioned, I knew I loved leading teams. I knew I loved the healthcare space, but I really hadn't tied it back to like, what experiences have I had? as an individual, as a leader, as a mom, as a sister, you know, as a daughter that made me, made this such the perfect fit for me. And how can I share that more with other people? And I looked back and when we really thought about it, you know, I feel like it started when I was 12 years old and we moved to France, right? So we moved to France and my mom dropped me off at all French speaking schools uh, and sort of said, sink or swim, right? But she convinced me that I would learn the language. And I still remember the night before school was starting, looking at my mom going, I know you believe in me, but I don't even know what to say to these people, right? Like, I can't understand a word. So she taught me this little phrase. So I sort of memorized, you know, je m'appelle Allison, je suis américaine et je ne parle pas français, right? My name's Allison. I'm American and I don't speak French. But underlying that was this power of yet. And because of my mom's belief in me and because of how the conversations had gone up until then, I knew that I could do it. And each night she eased my anxiety, sitting by my side, you know, helping me learn a little bit more of the language and sort of navigate through these rough patches and really reassuring me along the way that like all these mistakes were part of growing. And believe me, I made some real doozies in terms of mistakes. I still remember like one of the first nights I was really building my confidence and thinking, you know, I could actually, you know, try out some of this French on some real French people. My mom had some neighbors over for dinner and she asked me if I would pass a tray of appetizers. And she tried to really kind of build my confidence. She's like, you know, listen, the word hors d'oeuvre is the same in French as it is in English. So I'm walking about with this tray, you know, super excited. I've got my little skewers of prosciutto and melon. So I waltz very confidently into the living room, offering up my appetizers. And I say, est-ce que vous voudrez des ordures? So I'm offering people this in my, you know, near perfect French now, in my opinion. Um, and yes, the guests kind of looked at me. Awesome to me. Yeah. They, the guests looked at me sort of tentatively and they took a skewer. And a few minutes later, my mom pulls me back into the kitchen and she says, honey, you realize you're offering the guests garbage, not appetizers. And I said, what are you talking about? And she's, <laughs> so she says to me, the pronunciation is hors d'oeuvre. Ordure is garbage. And so, of course, oh, now oh. I look back and I think, 
oh, they probably thought that was the cutest thing ever, right? But as a 12-year-old, I was completely mortified. I stormed out of the kitchen in tears and never came back out to the party. But the truth of it is, like, you know, my mom tried in the kindest possible way to help me not continue to put my foot in my mouth. And over time, I realized, you know what? I persisted. People care about the effort that you're making, that vulnerability, that willingness to try. And with her support, I, you know, proudly finished the year fluent in French. And now that's what I think about what I really love to do for other people, right? As the director of leadership excellence, if I can inspire people to do more than they think possible for the benefit of patients, it's such a beautiful thing, right? Everything I do is focused on helping stretch people to become their best selves. Because I know as if leaders are doing that, they can do that for so many of their specialists, build their specialist capabilities. And then with that, we can empower more healthcare providers to make the best decision to get the best solution to the patient. So that to me is how Jill helped me crystallize, you know, my purpose yeah. where that came from. So it was so fun to be able to tell that story in a way that was really linked to my day-to-day motivation. Your mom sounds incredible. Like, what a woman. Yes. I mean, I have a 10-year-old daughter, nearly 11, and I, and I can just imagine you at that age being absolutely horrified. <laughs> My daughter would definitely strop out of the room. At the but, <laughs> exactly. Um, so tell me more about how that led, because that instilled some real strength oh, yeah. of character in you, didn't it? I mean, like you said, you touched on it there, the word yes. Yes. It's so powerful yeah. in that learning curve and, and how you approach things. Do you think that started that determination to learn and develop? I think that was sort of the key that made me realize I can do really hard things, right? So it was that someone else believed in me and doing this, what most people would consider impossible task, right? To walk into a classroom full of native French speakers, no one even really spoke a word of English. I mean, the only class I felt like I could get along in was I had an actual English class, right? Because they were learning a a second language. I've got this. Yes. (laughs) But even there, you know, I I wrote something on a test. We went to the movie theater and, and I got a point off because I was supposed to say cinema because this French teacher had British English versus American English. So I, I think it built my resilience, but it definitely further sparked that growth mindset in me, which is still hard, right? I I had always had straight A's up until then. And then I came home with a two out of 20 on a test and I, I was mortified, but I realized that that fixed mindset was never going to get me to learn to speak French. Um, so today I'd say that's one of my bigger battles, right, in life. I want to be great at everything I do, but I know that I can do much harder things. And so I continue to push myself and challenge myself. And and it's that curiosity. I think it really unleashed that unending curiosity and the belief that not only could I do more because people believed in me, but I wanted to do that for other people, right? That's what it really just links back to that purpose. And when I hear people who have that fixed mindset or don't think that things are achievable. I really just want to reframe it for them, right? And say, you know, well, what if this, or I wonder if, and to try to help people discover within themselves that they can do more um, and also to help them find their purpose, right? So once I connected with Jill, I immediately went back to her and said, how do I bring this to my team, right? And at the time I was leading a team within the training department. And so 
we all built our purpose stories with Jill. And we still, to this day, have monthly follow-up conversations with Jill to reignite our purpose because it's not something you can just do once, right? We got to revisit it. We get bogged down in the day-to-day. So then once we showed up as these purpose-driven leaders and we were opening our training courses, talking about who we were and why we showed up in that way, and we were seeing the results. I mean, I still remember one of my colleagues, Madonna, coming on a training call. This was during COVID when everything was remote and her opening with her purpose and immediately getting an email and a LinkedIn text from saying, from our participants saying, I'm all in. If this is who you are and this is how you show up, you've got me listening with both ears. So it was just so cool to see that impact. So then I went to my boss at the time and said, I think our entire department needs to show up in this way. And he was absolutely. So we did Jill's training for all 60 people within our training department. And then when we had turnover and our senior most leader left and we brought in a new guy, I said, John, this is the expectation of our team. When you introduce yourself, I want you to be able to do it with purpose and share your purpose. So he got to meet with Jill even. And he told me, you know, with the vast amount of experience he brought, he had never been able to kind of tell his story in such a succinct, direct way to link back to why he did what he did and why he shows up the way he does as a leader and why that gets him up and out of bed every morning. So that was just so, so, so cool. It's so true, isn't it? There are, And I'd be interested to know, was it when you sat with Jill, the that and only from that point where you started really connecting with your purpose or do you think you were purpose driven but perhaps just didn't have such clarity on it before yeah I I think I hadn't connected all the dots right I knew Mm. that I wanted to be doing something in healthcare and that was important to me I knew that I loved you know, leading people and inspiring people to do more. I just hadn't brought them all together as to why it was so important to me to be doing the two things in a space that brought them together. So I think that was the big difference. And honestly, one of the other sort of aha moments I had that really helped crystallize for me the value of what we do every day was, you know, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer five years ago. And in that point, I gained this really new appreciation for the importance of our daily work. I went into my doctor and just before we were scheduling my surgery, my oncologist told me, you know, look, Allison, I'm known as the queen of the robots. If we were talking a month ago, I would have said to you, we're doing this procedure laparoscopically, no questions asked. She said, but I just went to a conference and the latest data shows without a doubt that an open procedure will give you a much better outcome, not only for reducing the chance of recurrence, but also significantly reducing mortality rates. So in that moment, I just sort of had this light bulb go off like, holy cow, this is the kind of thing that we bring to our healthcare providers. Now, I don't know if at that conference she heard it from the main stage from a lecturer or if she happened to stop by the booth of somebody you know, in our industry, but it was this powerful il- illustration for me of the vital importance of our work. You know, oftentimes our physicians don't have time to stop and read every journal, to go to every conference. And if we can bring that information that doctors otherwise might not see, we can make a meaningful impact on patients and their families. And, you know, it helped me realize I don't have limitless time. I'm doing what I love to do. And so that impact motivates me, like that life-changing, life-extending purpose of our work 
really hit home for me. But I'm also happy to say that it's been five years and I'm still cancer free. So that to me is just an amazing legacy of our work in a sense that I can be here through all the milestones of my children. Absolutely. Oh, that's such, that's so lovely to hear that, you know, that, that turnaround as well, that she attended that conference. That's incredible. Yeah. So tell me, I'm curious about the women in leadership yeah. piece that you, that you chair, you co-chair, is that, is that right? Right. Yes. Or chair. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, as we talked about yeah. earlier, there's some serious girl power in my family, right? My mom's one of three girls. I'm one of three girls. I have three daughters of my own. So my relationship with the many women and girls in my life really drives me to play my part to ensure that women can succeed and receive the best possible health care. So it also motivates me, though, to make the workplace more inclusive and diverse. So as co-chair of Women in Leadership, I really feel like I'm helping create this better future for my three daughters and the next generation of the workforce. So I love to do this by really engaging men in the conversation because it's not about men versus women or men or women. It's about how can we all help support each other, pull each other up so that we can have the impact we want to have on our customers and the healthcare providers and the patients. Because I know that if we're having these conversations about gender equity and the importance of diverse teams and the what diverse teams can accomplish that's so above and beyond what this kind of homogenous team could do, I know then that we're going to have a greater impact on our associates and their development, have our clinical trial populations really reflect the patients that we serve. And we can show up in a better way to a wide range of the customers that we serve too, right? We want to reflect or at least understand where each of them are coming from culturally and historically so that we can present our information in a way that makes it meaningful to them, right? And really connects in a way with their purpose and how they like to show up. So with Women in Leadership, some of the things that we do are we create these local connect events where we invite all of the Novartis associates across a certain region to come together and talk about big, hairy business problems. What are the challenges they're facing? You know, maybe Liv, you're having trouble getting access to a certain medical group. And if another person at another part of Novartis, who I may never come across otherwise, has gained some access, we can share those great practices so that we, again, can help bring our message help get information to patients and physicians. So that's one of the things we do. We also do mentor circles. So we bring together eight to 10 people from across the organization. And again, men and women are always included. We can't be successful as female leaders without that support, allyship, um, and sponsorship of, of our male colleagues. And what I joke with the men, when I first started trying to recruit men to join our employee resource group, I said, well, I know at the very least each of you has a mother. You may be involved in a relationship with a woman, or you may have children of your own, right? And you definitely have female colleagues. So we need your ears, your perspective, your insights on how we can make this a better workplace for everyone. So I actually, during you know the past five years, we've made these efforts and we've tripled the number of male allies that are part of our organization. Wow. We've quadrupled the number of members that we have in Women in Leadership. So I feel like there's a real need um, for people to have this conversation. So in these mentor circles, we bring together eight or 10 people from across the organization. We try to make the groups as diverse as possible. You know, People from 
sitting in different places within Novartis so that they're learning from each other, getting these unique perspectives. And then we sort of leave it up to them. We give them some ideas, some podcasts, some journal articles that they could talk about if they need a conversation starter. But otherwise we say, hey, you know, talk to each other about your business challenges, talk to each other about your developmental goals and and support one another. And we give them some powerful questions that they can ask one another to try to help people realize from within themselves how to overcome and solve their problems too without becoming those advice monsters like Michael Bungay Stanier talks about. So, um, you know, we're really trying to build people's skills in, in being great listeners, great coaches in these mentor circles, but also having a place that they can go to create community. So those are sort of two of our biggest initiatives that we like to do because, again, we're field focused. So everything we were doing was was really there. We've actually recently merged with the headquarters-based employee resource group for women. So uh, we're really working to connect our field-based associates with our headquarters-based associates too, so they can learn from each other how to better serve our customers. Fabulous. What have you seen in terms of results from that then? And have you had some really positive feedback about it? We have. Again, I think from day one, people feel like they now have a part of a community. They're able to also build connections across the organization. So we've had a multitude of people who have been promoted within Novartis that if they, they're not, I mean, I can't say that it was solely for this reason. Obviously they brought amazing skills, but they had a contact within women in leadership, right? That they could then reach out to reach beyond, ask questions, right? If I was interviewing in a whole different therapeutic area, I knew people from women in leadership that I could talk to. So I think it's helping people feel more connected, more committed to the organization, and really to quickly build an internal network at Novartis that can help them solve their business problems, their personal challenges, their work-related challenges. So really just creating a safe space for employees, especially when we all in the field, you know, don't have that daily connection into an office or a colleague that we might and what about you personally, Alison? Do you do any sort of one-to-one mentoring? I mean, obviously you've gone through this experience with Jill as well now. So not only do you have your, you know, your leadership passion and skills in that world, but now you have this purpose focus. Yeah. Um, what, what are you doing with it? I do, yeah. So I was fortunate enough about three years ago to attend a course with the ACT Leadership Group and Brown University and become certified as a leadership and development coach. So I actually do have a coaching practice that I right now is is more limited towards Novartis employees. I haven't quite figured out a price structure to ask people to pay me to do this. But as part of my day job, we have an amazing organization at Novartis called Power Up. So it's a community of about 50 internal coaches. And so I actually was just doing the math the other day. I, I worked with 14 different coaching clients this past year. And the first, one of the first exercises I always do with my coaching clients is really talk to them about what do they value? What are their values? Help them identify those and tie those into how does that serve you and how are you honoring your values in the daily work that you do? And if something's out of balance, then we sort of talk about, you know, is this aligned with your purpose and why you do what you do? And it just helps form this kind of grounding place for the work that we do. And we talk about their purpose and have they figured out their why and who are they sharing it with? I think that's the most important thing, right? First, you have to know it yourself, but then how do you show up differently 
at the workplace, at home, because you're truly finding, you know, purpose in your work and sharing that with others. So I love to kind of bring in purpose in the work that I do as a leadership coach. Yeah, absolutely. It's that important piece of reflecting, isn't it? How would you recommend if you were coaching someone or mentoring someone, how would you recommend they go through that process of reflecting and and understanding their own purpose? Yeah. So the way I go about it is I really kind of ask people to tell me about a time when they were at their best or a time when they really loved what they were doing, right? And it can be, I've had people tell me about when they were on a basketball team, right, in high school. And I just really try to listen to the emotion, the feeling, who they were working with, what they were doing. But it's more than the what, but sort of what what made it such an amazing experience for them. And just trying to reflect back to them what I heard has helped a lot of the folks that I've been coaching kind of figure out what drives them and then link that into that purpose. So just getting people telling stories about challenges they've overcome, when they felt at their best, and then maybe also when they weren't feeling so great helps them understand what's important to them. And then just listening to people, you can help them tie it into why they do what they do. And, and Jill taught me so much about how do you ask that next level question and really listen long enough to help people hone in and focus in on what exactly is it, you know, asking those simple questions, the and what else, or tell me more um, to dig in, to get people to truly reflect. Because oftentimes we're moving so fast, we just don't even invest in ourselves to figure that out. It's true. It's so true. And I, you know, I've touched on that a bit with Jill as well, that there are many times in life that you do get that chance to reflect are there, but it is so important when you do. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the industry as a whole. And we're talking a lot about purpose. There is much more of a trend towards this way of thinking. Do you see that? And do you think there will be more of this focus moving forward? Well, I certainly hope so. Mm. Uh, like in all of my strategic thinking classes I teach, you know, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> but, you, you know, I think even if you think about the commercials we see on television, whether it's for pharmaceuticals or for a healthcare organization, I think people are, are there's a changing tide, right? Healthcare providers are listening more. The healthcare organizations are listening more. And if we in the pharmaceutical industry can listen more to the needs of the patients and the providers, I think we can all move forward together in the best possible way. I do think COVID, um, while it slowed us down in terms of how we could see our customers, helped us to reinvent ourselves a little bit and improved slightly the reputation of the pharmaceutical industry. I do think it's on each of us, though, every day to show up at our best in front of our customers so that we can continue to build on that, right? And so it's it's on us to show up as purpose-driven specialists, leaders, whatever role we might have, um, and seek to understand others' purpose. Because once we do that and we have that mutual connection, we can probably do anything, right? It's the whole idea of do you show up trying to sell someone something or do you try to show up 
trying to solve a problem that they already have. Yeah. That curiosity piece there about other people's purpose, I think is really important as well. That's certainly something that I've seen as you go through the journey yourself. It does I make you wonder, well, everybody has something, you know, and I, you know, everybody has a, a story, a drive, and it's just taking the time to understand people and just taking that time. Mm-hmm. It's it's so important these days, isn't it? Because life is happening so quickly. It really is. And I think if you hear that purpose in someone's story that they may not even be in touch with yet, and you can reflect that back to them. They may not thank you. They may not look and go, oh, Liv or Allison really helped me get to this. But I think you can make their life so much richer and really create a connection that they may not even realize why it exists. Yeah. And even the knock-on impact of that, even just by that suggestion, imagine the good that that person can then go on and do if they show up with their purpose without even, you know, it, it's, exactly. the, it's the ripple effect, isn't it, of, of people just coming forward with it. It really is. And and that's what, you know, inspires me every day to continue with my coaching practice, you know, in having conversations with people about what they loved about their day-to-day work and then maybe some of the things they didn't love as much. It's really helped them to identify the right role. and And I just... I smile because they're like, oh my gosh, you know, you helped me so much to prepare. And because, you know, of that conversation we had, I showed up in the interview and I got the job. And it's like, well, it's because of the work that you did in figuring out the right role that of course you're the best candidate for that job, right? Because it fully aligns with who you are as a leader and and to be vulnerable enough to say, this is what I want to do. I may not be there yet but I can get there. And that's the biggest thing that, you know, we learn in women in leadership and having these conversations, you know, women oftentimes will only apply for a job if they have nine out of the 10 listed skills, whereas men will have, you know, maybe half and they're like, oh, I've got this. And women are calling everybody and say, do you think I should apply? I don't have this. I don't have, you know, and so if I can help people think about their own development and their own careers with that growth mindset and that power of yet, and if you show up, as that purpose-driven leader and you tell your story of why you want to do what you are looking to do, I don't think any hiring manager would hesitate to say, you can get these skills, right? So that to me is why I love what I do when I can help people get where they want to go. Yeah. So now that you have such clear purpose, you know why you do what you do, do you think, what do you think about for your future? Are you now happy with what you're doing and, or, or do you have plans, goals, dreams? Right. Well, that's yeah. a crazy question. That, and it's so funny you're asking me that, Liv, because I honestly have a session with my own coach this afternoon. <laughs> I do. And, you know. Just I'm, warming you up, you see. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it's because it's so important. You realize like you, you don't want to do this alone. You don't have to do this alone. And that's, you You kind of nailed it though, Liv. My big question right now is I absolutely love what I'm doing. And I think in my, part of me feels like I'm doing my dream job, right? I, I adore developing leaders at every level of the organization. And so now the question is, is that enough challenge for me, right? Because part of my that's whole yeah. philosophy is growth mindset and learning. And so I, I don't know, I, I'm asking myself that 
a lot. And my boss says the same thing. What do you want to do? How can I support your development? And quite frankly, I'm a little, um, to be totally vulnerable, maybe being a little bit fixed in my mindset myself and not being brave enough to take the next step because I'm, I'm a little afraid to walk away from something I love so much to try something differently. So instead, I'm seeking ways to grow and develop in this role, right? Launching new programs. Yeah. We've started develop, doing a regional director development, second line leader development, which we had never done before. My next challenge is to start doing VP development. We most recently did a women's director summit across our entire organization. So I continue to find ways to do new things and challenge myself, but I will have to, you know, jump off at some point, I believe, to uh, to continue to fulfill my curiosity. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a really interesting point though, isn't it? When you get to that point where you're doing your dream job to keep ch challenging yourself, it is, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And um, cause it feels like an even bigger risk, I suppose. Yeah. And, and um, I did, but I, I will be watching closely. Oh, okay. Alison, <laughs> I will. <laughs> and that's why I got the coaching certification, right? Because I thought this is a way to have more impact, to do something differently in this space that I love. So I, I just need to continue to find those new ways because for now, I don't know if I'm quite brave enough yet to walk away. No. And like you say, you're finding ways to, there's plenty more that you can still do in, exactly. in your own role. So a couple more questions for you. You referred earlier to your eight-year-old self and I would love to know, knowing what you know now. Mm -hmm. I, always, I often say, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah. So I particularly want to speak to that eight-year-old girl who knew she wanted to be a boss, <laughs> but didn't really know why. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the sort of things you'd say to yourself as an eight-year-old. Right. I, I think it's a lesson. It's a story I'm still telling myself is not to seek so much external validation, right? To really own who you are. Um, and learn to love yourself um, regardless of what you're hearing from other people. I think at that age, I was so focused on getting good grades, being a good sister, you know, even if it was a little bit bossy, um, but, you know, helping my mom and doing all the right things. And so I think I would say, you know, it's okay. Do what you love and do it for yourself, right? You don't have to prove yourself to anyone but you. And also like, to this day. And we just did a little, at that training, we sort of did a ceremony of what are you going to let go? And I always thought like being told I was too bossy or being told I was bossy was like a bad thing. And even right now to this day, I'm that's the thing I'm trying to reframe. Like it's okay to show up as an assertive leader as long as you're listening, right? Like I don't ever want to be perceived as bossy, but there's also some connotations that come with that that I think through my own lens, that's not the word I want people to use when they're describing me, but there's also so many positive things, right, that come. If you're establishing a vision, if you can inspire people to follow you, if you give people direction that helps them achieve the goals they want to achieve, you know, if you can tell people what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it and let them figure out how, that's a great leader, right? So I think I just want to reframe boss to leader um, and and to be okay with, you know, nobody else has to tell you you're good at what you're doing as long as you know you're good at what you're doing. And is that what you say to your girls now as well? 
you know, I should say it more. Um, and it made me reflect because we often rewarded them for the grades, right? And I, that's when I realized maybe 10 years ago, like I was reinforcing that pattern, right? Of that external validation. And so I, I tried to reframe the questions and the conversation with them to talk about, that's amazing that you did so well. Tell me what you did. You know, what was your process? How did you prepare for that test? You know, what did you learn? And really focusing more on the effort versus the outcome, because if the outcome is not good, where do you go then, right? So really trying to help them do that. And, and quite frankly, I feel like, you know, that poor first kid, she was like the test child. I think I did it much better <laughs> with the second and the third one. <laughs> this, this is my hope, you see, with four. I'm like, yes. by, the time, by the time these two get a bit older, I'm going to nail this. Exactly. Fine. <laughs> but again, you know, it's it's that learning and growth mindset and, you know, I tell Isabel, my eldest all the time, sorry, you know, but I turned out okay. And I was the oldest too. I was the test child. So it all works out. And, you know, I'm just so proud. She's got her first job offer. So we made it to one point soon Whoa. in the spring. Yeah. That's incredible. Yes. Well, that is a moment to celebrate. So do you think she will follow in your footsteps in terms of in that leadership? focused space. Well, she's a computer science major, so she's a software right. engineer, but I do think that she will lead teams in that space at some point. I don't see her in an individual contributor role behind a screen um, for the majority of her career by any stretch of the imagination. So she's got a lot of years, I keep telling her, to figure that out. This first job she's got is not her forever job. That's the other conversation we've been having. And then my middle one is is pre-med and wants to go to medical school. So super excited for her. And, and then the youngest one says she wants to be a businesswoman of some sort. So I think we've kind of got oh. <laughs> the meld. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's fun. Well, it sounds like your mom has had an impact and, and will continue to do so. Definitely, definitely, she has. You know, she was she was sort of this shepherd of of our family. When and when I say that, it's she looked after everybody. Right? We even welcomed a family of Vietnamese refugees into our home, and they lived with us for three or four years in the wow. mid '80s during that crisis. And so, from her example, you know, I really developed some of that same passion for caring for others and the people around me. What she taught me was the more I give, the more I get. And I think if we can show up that way in our industry um, with, you know, being there to support and give to others and help find the right solutions, I think that that will help us. And to me, that's what it means to be a purpose-driven leader, right? So the beauty of it in our industry is that we know that patients and, and their families win in the end. Jill has created this amazing community and brought together so many incredible leaders and helped them to be skilled at articulating their purpose. So I love that Jill connected the two of us, and I can't wait to listen in to more of your podcast about these purpose-driven leaders um, and to read Jill's book very soon. I know. I can't wait to read the book either. And it's fabulous to meet you, Alison, honestly, to have you on and to chat to you, not only about purpose, but just about women in leadership in general yeah. is everything I love all in one place. It has been Awesome in every way. So thank you. Perfect. For that. Well, I agree 100%. And it was such a pleasure to get to know you more. Thank you. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful Alison. end of the year and happy holidays to you and your family. And that's it for 2023. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, feel free to go back and have a listen to some of the other inspiring women I've chatted with over the last 12 months. And to make sure you never miss another episode, you can subscribe via my website, thisgirlcam.com, or just hit follow on your chosen podcast platform. Look out for my newsletter, which will let you enjoy this episode in either print or audio. And you can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, X and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Wishing you all a fabulous Christmas. Bye for now.